to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. It's Thanksgiving week when we're recording this. Yep. Um. Funny thing about me, most people know, I don't know the days of the week. I mean, like, I know the days of the weeks, but I don't know where we are on the days of the weeks half the time. And I'm really bad about, I don't really use a calendar. So it was uh, probably four o'clock in the morning, Monday morning, I was at work and somebody said something about Thanksgiving. And I said, oh, is that this week? And they looked at me like I had grown two heads. And I'm like, I really, I didn't know. So I, it suddenly dawned on me, it's the first Thanksgiving, Eric and I are both off in a long time. And I had flashbacks to about five years ago when this happened. And he was like, what are you cooking? So I went to the store yesterday. Why is it on the woman to provide holiday dinners? Well, it just is. I'm sorry. <laughs> unless maybe you're married to a chef or somebody I, who loves to I cook. Am- <laughs> I am not married to a chef. But I just knew. I was like, I just knew that come Thursday morning at 9 a.m., he would be like, what are we having for Thanksgiving dinner? So I know that, you know, we can get into a whole discussion about gender roles and expectations, but there are certain things I expect Chad to do, like take out that dead thing that one of the cats brought in. That's his role. (laughs) All right. If something's dead, that's your department. Take it out. You know, whereas for me, it's like making the dinner. But we're we're having our first Thanksgiving here at the beach, and it's just going to be me and Chad and Will. And we have never not had a huge family Thanksgiving. Even when we lived in the Atlanta area, we would always go back to Augusta to spend time with family there. We would always go back. So I've not had a Thanksgiving that was not in Augusta in I don't even know how many. It's been a long time. So here we are. We're going to have Thanksgiving here, and I'm going to cook. Well, your southern heart might be hurt, but my husband wants cornbread dressing. Is that what you call it? Dressing. We call it dressing. We call it dressing, not stuffing, because we don't stuff it in anything. We're not stuffing it. It's dressing. We don't stuff it either. Okay. Well, then you're having dressing, too. (laughs) Stuffing is not made with cornbread. Oh, yeah, it is. No, it's made with French bread or white bread anyway. So it's different where I come from. So I have never made Midwest dressing slash stuffing in my life. I've certainly never made cornbread dressing and I really don't want to learn. So I happen to remember that Publix has some Southern comfort, I don't know, frozen brand. And so my husband will be having frozen cornbread dressing and he better love it. (laughs) <laughs> no, my, my grandmama Calhoun, her dressing recipe is it's like, I don't know where it came from. I've never heard of this before. This is not, I mean, it may be very typical in a certain part of South Carolina that I'm not sure about, but her recipe had has biscuits, cornbread, and grits. And you have to make it all. I'm not making that one. <laughs> you have to make cornbread and biscuits and grits the day before. Well, like two days before, like I should have already done it. Then they have to sit and then you mix them together like you would bake all those on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, you mix it all together. You add like egg and, of course, the celery and the onion and, you know, salt and pepper and um, like, what is it, broth in there. And then you, you mush that all together and you put it in the pan and then it has to sit in the refrigerator for another 24 hours. And then right before you're going to bake it, you pour melted butter over the top, and then you put it in the oven. It's so good. 
somebody at work was trying to explain it to me and they were talking about something about having to mix in raw egg and they're like in the raw egg the raw egg is important and i'm like i don't know it's really different it's not like like if you've ever had like a stovetop stuffing that's like in little pieces that are all crumbled up that's not how ours is ours is more like it ends up being more like a cornbread casserole when you're done but that is that is grandma calhoun's dressing recipe and years ago my dad said i was not allowed to make it anymore when we were at there (laughs) there. because i used jiffy cornbread i like a sweeter cornbread so i used jiffy cornbread and daddy said jen's cornbread doesn't taste right allison you have to make it next year and i'm like (laughs) i'm out guess what i also can't make a good turkey oh mm." (laughs) no anyway so basically just don't do it like daddy wanted and you don't have to do it anymore (laughs) well i'm doing turkey breast tenderloins in the instant pot because i discovered this hack several years ago and they're tender and they're juicy and they're amazing and there's just two of us so why on earth would i cook an entire turkey so it's gonna be fine and yeah you said jiffy my friend Lori, her mom passed away a couple months ago now and so she's taking over thanksgiving at her dad's house she went up today to start preparing it and she was asking somebody how to cook cornbread because she's never made cornbread in her life and she's stressed out about it and i said what are you talking about go get a box of jiffy cornbread mix i like the jiffy cornbread because that's like a little sweetness to it but you can also make cornbread it's really really easy just from cornmeal i mean i have i've made homemade cornbread before from just you know not out of a box but if you're making all those things in one day grits and biscuits and cornbread that's a lot yeah anyway so we will not be having it but we are getting together december 10th so actually by the time this episode comes out it will have already happened you know because we moved away to the beach and also my brother's family moved away they moved away to clemson so they're farther away so we're not getting together for thanksgiving or Christmas at my dad's, but we, I named it in the middle. We're going to meet December 10th and we're going to call it Christgiving and we're going to have Thanksgiving food, but Christmas celebration. So December 10th, Christgiving, a new tradition is forming for our family. That's fun. Well, it's just hard now because the younger kids, that's what's what always happens. The younger kids that used to be the kids are now adults. And, you know, one of my nieces is married and Cal is married. And they, you know, they start to become teenagers and young adults. And then they have other things they need to do. And then not to mention that, you know, my brother and his wife both have they, they've been previously married. So then they've got other families. So these kids have you know, all these other families. Now they might have, you know, if, if your parents are divorced and your spouse's parents are divorced, now you've got four families anyway. So we're doing Christ giving and only going back that one time. And it's going to be really weird, but I'm excited. Oh, you're going back to Augusta for that. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to Augusta for that. So, you know, as many of the kids that can come. And for some reason, I thought you were hosting that. So, oh, no, no, no. They're not coming here. They come to see me in the summer. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. And today we have a customer service shout out from Debbie to Area Pro Windows of Dayton, Ohio, which is owned by George Schmall. Debbie wrote, I worked with George for an estimate for windows and siding in May of 2022. Then I wasn't able to secure the funds for the work. He was very understanding and he asked that I keep him in mind. I called him late July and he was genuinely happy to hear from us again. He provided all the information and quotes better than any other company I'd gotten an estimate from. Two of his contractors did all the work, and they were the calmest people I've ever met. These were two brothers who I never heard raise their voice, argue, nothing. They laughed and were extremely polite. It meant a lot to me as I'm working from home all day with them here. This told me a lot about the company, too. I highly recommend their work and staff. The owner is great to work with as well. I only had one issue in the beginning with confirming dates, but we got past it, and I would highly recommend this company. Oh, and they also do kitchens, too. Oh, having a good company that can do something for you is like, that's gold. Well, so I ordered windows in July. They just gave me my money back. They can't get the windows. Well, that's not their fault. If you got your windows ordered and put in, Debbie, you are already steps ahead of me. (laughs) 
anyway. Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson this week, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. Today, I want to share a product from Beauty Counter. So the other day, my husband, he's getting in bed and he mentioned it's not even winter yet, but that his skin was taking a beating. He works in a warehouse and it's not climate controlled and often the dock doors are open to the weather. And we have already had a really cold season in Alabama this year. And he mentioned that his face and beard felt different and that he was having dry patches and that he was afraid to shave because of it. It was then that I realized that Beauty Counter has an entire line of skin and beard care products just for men. Uh, There is a great set that would make a wonderful gift for the men in your life. And there is a exfoliating cleanser that helps remove dry patches and clean the pores and then followed by a lotion. Now, my husband, he refuses to use really any kind of lotion, like he makes me put it on him (laughs) because he is touch averse to it. He does not like the feel of it on his hands. I don't like having lotion on my hands either. Tell Eric that that is true. People who put on hand lotion, I'm like, what are you doing, you weirdo? Well, I'm the one that slathers lotion head to toe before bed. All of our listeners (laughs) who are using the hand lotion, I'm sorry, but I I just cannot. I don't want my hands to have lotion on them. Uh Uh-uh. Have my pump of lotion right here. Nope, nope. Well, I will never give you lotion, Jen. Well, no, but you did leave lotion at the beach. Remember that lotion you left at the beach? Will likes it. Oh, does he? He said, I really like this lotion. I'm like, it's I'll have great to tell lotion. Yeah, it's good lotion. <laughs> I do use lotion. Like, I use lotion, like, on my legs. And, you know, if I'm starting to look, you know, if I have dry skin there, but I am not putting it on my hands anyway. Oh, well, <laughs> if you have dry skin, get the lemongrass exfoliating scrub from Beauty Counter. Okay, I don't usually have a lot, have problems with dry skin. Well, anyway, he does not mind this lotion because it is oil-free and it absorbs right in. It's lightweight and non-greasy. And it contains sequoia stem cell complex, uh, which helps control oil and uh, helps prevent shine and improve skin resiliency. And if you put it on the morning, it helps protect it from everyday environmental stress. There is no fragrance added, which is important to my husband. And uh, if you want to learn more about this line or any of the other products, go to beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, or you can visit the link in show notes. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk about empaths, how to identify if you or a loved one are one, how to find balance as an empath, and how we can support the empaths in our lives. You might be wondering, what is an empath? Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. But an empath is a person that feels empathy to a greater degree than the average person. There are three main types of empaths. Emotional empaths are described as emotional sponges. They pick up on the emotions of those around them. While a person with empathy is able to do this, an emotional empath actually absorbs the energy and it can become theirs. Then there are intuitive empaths. These people often have premonitions or receive dream messages. They often have telepathic abilities and they can often uncannily predict the weather with great accuracy just by feeling the changes in the Earth's atmosphere. Intuitive empaths are also your dog and horse whisperers. They often have an uncanny ability to communicate with animals and sense what and how animals are feeling. The physical or somatic empath is able to pick up on another person's physical pain or sensations. Many medical practitioners, for instance, are somatic empaths. They can actually pick up on a person's pain or illness simply by touching or observing them. There are actually scientific demonstrations that account for how the empath brain works. For instance, they have found that on MRI scans, it shows that there are differences in empaths' brains that allow empaths to unknowingly mimic another person's posture, mannerisms, facial expressions, and even pain. If an empath sees a person get stuck in the hand with a needle, for instance, the empath will have the same sensory and motor pain response as the person who was stuck. 
While all of these are wonderful attributes, it can also be overwhelming at times for the empath, especially when the world around them doesn't understand the toll that all of these feelings and sensations can take. So today we are joined by a special guest, Jen and mine's friend, Pamela Merriam. Pam is a licensed massage therapist who resides in Texas with her husband and her rescue dog, Church. As an empath herself, Pam is here to discuss this topic more fully in order to help empaths and the people around them. So welcome, Pam. That was a lot. (laughs) And I also want everyone to know that you will hear Church. He's there and he's saying hello every now and then. He's got his little doggy voice. So everybody, there's not a dog in your car or whatever. It's Church. (laughs) He should calm down after a few. Well, sometimes we get to hear Lulu. So yes, Lulu likes to make her presence known. Yeah, <laughs> we get it. I think almost everybody is an animal person in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah, I was actually just thinking the other day, if somebody does not like animals, they probably don't like to listen to us because we talk about your cats and we talk about <laughs> Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, Pam, I'm so curious which type of empath are you of the kind that Sherry just described, the emotional, the intuitive, the physical or somatic, or are you like a combination? I think probably emotional describes me the most. I cannot predict the weather. I cannot, well, I'm sensitive to things about with my animal kind of connection, but not quite that deep. If someone got stabbed with a needle, I'd feel sad for them, but I wouldn't feel a poke. No, I wouldn't feel that. But emotional really describes how I've been. And before I really got the chance to understand what empath is what what empathy is and how it felt so big i just felt like i was super sensitive to everything forever and so what i really wanted to find out was how i could not feel things so deeply i wanted to feel but i didn't want to hurt oh yeah and when you're really absorbing those feelings from other people you feel the pain they have so before we dive in anymore what is the overall lesson you hope to share with our listeners today I would like people to know that what I learned, which is that being an empath is not a sentence. It's not a crushing, debilitating, wrong thing. It's something you can use as an important tool in the way that you connect with other people, the way that you do your job, the way that you love your people. It's a valuable tool if you learn how to let yourself feel stuff, but protect yourself from feeling too much. You can take on way too much. And there's a way that you, or several ways that you can avoid that happening and use the best parts of being an empath to really have a deeper life, deeper connection with other people. It's funny, somebody, I don't even remember who it was. We had a guest not too long ago who was talking a little bit about empaths. I had said, you know, I always thought I was one, but as I've gotten older, I don't think I am. And It might have been Mary Joy, and she said that she would guess that I am a protected empath, that I have learned over the years how to protect myself from carrying all that pain and other people's stress and and trauma and stuff. But interesting enough, until I started doing a little research for today's episode, I had no idea. I have had premonitions and dream messages my entire life. I knew that about you because you told me that before. So yeah. I had no idea that was part of being an intuitive empath. So that was kind of, I was like, wow. You really are intuitive about people also. Like that's one thing about you, Sherry. Sherry gets somebody straight to their core where I'm like, I am not an intuitive empath when it comes to other people <laughs> like the way you are. Because you you always see through people like, no, like you see to their. I can read people very, very easily. I, it's I don't their energy. I can read them. I don't even know how I do it. It's facial expressions, energy what they're not saying, but I can read a room as well. I used to think that it was only intuition and feeling, but I know that part of me is a logical person. So the combination of those two, it's common sense. Like I can take away several things and go, oh, just because that person is not X, Y, and Z, I can see now that they're C, D, and E, you know? I think that's part of it. It's just observation and and cutting down different things and taking it away. And then you, you peel it all back and you can see. But like you, I can read a room. I could go into a room of 50 people and say, well, there's somebody over there in the corner who's really mad right now. It feels like spikes coming at me. So 
I can feel it that way. For sure. And you know, it's funny that you say that. Somehow I've been married to me, the social butterfly has been married to two men that are not social butterflies. So when you're at a big get together, gathering or party or whatever, they're the one in the corner who are is not having a good time, right? They're there, they're doing their duty, they've showed up, but they're not having a good time. And I've always been like, I want you to have a good time. And like Eric will say, why does it matter if I'm having a good time? And I'm like, because I can't have a good time if you're not having a good time. Like his energy sucks all the joy out for me. Because it's like palpable. That's the type of empathy. I don't think I'm, I'm to the degree, maybe not considered to be an empath, but I absolutely absorb energy from other people. That's the time when you need to find a way to make your choice. So you can choose, is this somebody I want to go to the party with from now on? Or how can I protect myself so that I am not taking on that energy? If that's the way he likes to attend a party, good. Don't You can find ways to not let it get all over you, and you can still enjoy. Well, that's what I need to know. How can we protect ourselves? I I love that wording. Protect ourselves from absorbing the negative energy that someone else is putting out. Because I actually, I mean, I feel it physically. Like, say you're having an amazing day, and everything's gone right, and you are on top of the world, and somebody walks in the door And they suck all the joy out of the room. And it's like you got pushed off a cliff, right? Yeah. So how do you protect yourself from that and stay in your zone? Well, the first thing is you need to be aware of yourself. And that's where the most work comes in. In the very beginning of understanding what your level of empathy is and how capable you are of absorbing other stuff, you have to start to notice what the cues are. And being vigilant is exhausting. It's tiring to be on all the time, like always thinking instead of just letting yourself feel, but the reward is worth it for not getting polluted by other people's heaviness. So what you need to do first is recognize, yeah, feeling a little bit weird. Like it can happen if I walk in the house, I've had a fantastic day and I can get in here and Rick can be a little sad and I'll be like immediately it's like this rising dough thing comes towards me there's some sadness and I feel it like a big bubble and we'll often say to each other our bubbles are not because we're very tight we can sit together very we're very close that way but when the energy is big for either of us it can knock knock against each other so when I come in and I feel it I have to immediately say wait a minute What's going on? So I'll touch base. Everything okay? How do you feel? Did something bad happen? If it's just a matter of his sadness, I put on a shield. So the shield thing is a visual. It's a lot of people will say that's kind of a woo-woo thing, but honestly, it's the most valuable tool. So if you're going in somewhere, or even if you know I'm going to meet somebody who gives me a lot of angst, then you can put your shield on before you even get in that door. I have to go to the bank and deal with an important issue, and I hate that put on your shield. I'm going home. I know Eric's going to be cranky. Put on your shield. There's a couple different ways to do it. The one that most often is talked about is that you put yourself in a kind of a a bath of light. So you can imagine yourself inside a sphere, a bubble, a kind of like an umbrella, if you want to, of light. Most people say white light or blue light. Some people have said pink. If you're in that light, light is something you can see through but it's still there. So you're kind of like in this little shrouded protected space and you're imagining yourself in this protected space that can't let that stuff in. So it's a matter of getting this visual in your mind and really practicing using it over time. Because by the time you get used to using it all the time, you're going to be able to just pop it on. You're going to be like, oh, I see this is bad. Put it right on. If it gets to be where that is not the right visual for you, The other one that I found valuable in the very beginning was, you know how boiling bag rice comes in a semi-permeable bag? It's got little holes in it, right? So I find it very valuable to be able to feel someone else's feelings, but I don't want them to stay on me. I don't want to get sick or polluted or sticky with them. So if I'm in a semi-permeable membrane, I can feel their stuff. I can understand it, but I can get it off me. I can get it right back out through those holes. So if you remember that you're in a protected space and you're holding it, it, all that stuff just bounces off of you. And it it does take practice. I'm not saying it's magic and it happens one, one time, but that's the way. Protect yourself from a situation. 
It's funny that you say that bag of rice thing, because I envision a chain link fence. I put up the fence around me, right? I can see you. I can hear you, but you can't come in. Like, I'm safe in here. It's very important to do. And the other thing is, there's a little bit of that. We've talked on various different reasons and different topics about the inner toddler. There's part of me that's like, uh, no, you're not getting me. You know, you're not going to win. And when it starts to be too much, I'm like, no, you're not going to. And then I'm really protective of myself. I'm The thing is down. You can feel that way if you want to, but I'm not going to buy that. I don't want to borrow it. I don't want to keep it. Because it, it, in the beginning, when especially when I started in massage school and started learning about this, I would do energy work with people and I'd get physically ill. And someone said, you have to learn how to protect yourself because you're too sensitive to other people's stuff, especially when you're actually touching people in their, sometimes not in their best space. So you have to be able to protect. So yeah, chain link fence is a great one. While you're doing your massage work, I was wondering, we were talking about the somatic empaths and you're actually laying your hands on people. Do you sense their pain? Do you sense their discomfort at times? I do. It's not that I feel, you know, if, it's, if they say uh, my neck's been bothering me, I don't feel like my neck is mad, but I can see when someone comes in, I can say, I'll say, how are you doing today? And a lot of my clients I've known for over a decade and they'll say, I'm fine. And I'll be like, no, nah, you lied to me. They're like, how do you always know? <laughs> I I mean, some of it's physical. I mean, someone's got a stiff neck, they're walking like this, and you know, something is wrong. But a lot of times, you can look at a bunch of different little cues, and you can know that something is happening. As far as the feel, I think a lot of it now is, I know what an angry neck bunch of muscles feels like, so I can understand how that pain would be, but I don't take it on anymore, if I ever did. It's much more that I would take on their sadness or their anger rather than their physical pain for me. So if you, I mean, like I know just from history, you are out in public. I mean, this was a hard thing for me. Okay, I'm the one that goes into the Hallmark store and I read all the cards and I'm crying in the aisles while reading them. And I used to think that was a flaw. And I was like, God, what is wrong with me? You know, and I was like, toughen up. And I would tell myself, toughen up. Don't cry in the Hallmark store. And I, you know, I'd go to a funeral of somebody that I didn't know. It could have been like somebody's that I was close to's mother who I never met. And I'm at the funeral to support them. I'm the one that's crying harder than the other people that <laughs> knew the poor lady that's passed away, you know, and I always felt like there was something wrong with me. And I've had people say, stop it, you're drawing attention to yourself or whatever. And I would try to hold that in. And it's just it makes it so heavy. And somewhere along the line, I just realized it's not a flaw to let your emotions out and cry if you need to cry. And when you look at other parts of your life, you recognize how fully strong you are. I mean, I don't know a ton about you, but I know a good amount. I know that you're a strong person. You've been through some challenging things and you've triumphed and you've got a lot that you handle. So when you look at yourself truly, you can say, I know that I'm a strong person. Just because I can let my emotions out doesn't mean that I'm weak. And I needed to learn that. I worked with someone a long time ago who was kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of a coworker thing. And we were trying to give employee gifts to each other without spending a lot of money. We were all broke. We were all, you know, every penny. And so we were trying to think of intangible things we could give to each other. So I asked to be less sensitive in certain situations because I didn't want to not, I didn't want to be like a rock or be impersonal, but I didn't want to have my feelings hurt so, so, so much. And very shortly after that, I started massage school and I started to learn how that would come about, what it would look like. Now, I'm very happy to say that I cry about things that are just absolutely beautiful. Here's the thing. I watched Pink doing whatever the music show was the other night, and she roller skated in with a bunch of people. I don't know much about Pink. I don't watch those shows ever. It was one of the most beautiful things, and I'm bawling my eyes out over Pink and all these people disco dancing on roller skates into this event. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And I'm done being the person who's like, embarrassed to cry. I'm just not going to be that person. Every feeling deserves to be felt. You just have to figure out how to put it where it belongs. So how do people support if you are married to somebody and you're like, okay, yep, they're an empath. You know, how can I better support them? What do I need to give them? What would you say? 
in our relationship here, Rick and I are very sensitive, each of us, and we're both empathic. We both do body work. We both have, even though he does very mechanical, specific body kind of work, and I do more Swedish and emotional and that kind of work. We both have that same feeling of we've had emotional stuff in our past and we've learned how it can impact us body and spirit. And so we both have that understanding about how to be sensitive. And so thankfully, thankfully for both of us, we've figured out that we have to be sensitive to each other's spaces. We have to understand that. So the key is that whoever the spouse is who doesn't understand it, the empath needs to be able to say, I'm not sensitive because I'm passive aggressive. I'm not being a whiner. I feel things much more strongly. So we have to find a good way to communicate that. You need to be able to, as an empath, say, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm trying to say this hurts me and it shouldn't. And maybe we can find a different way to communicate, different way to coexist so that we're not daggering each other. Right. So laying down defenses. Yeah, but it almost it's more like accepting that the other person is allowed to be it. Instead of saying, I have to protect myself from someone who's not, you say, can you accept me the way I am? You know, if you put more of a positive thing on it, rather than I'm sheltering myself from what you can't manage. Do you know what I'm saying? I think that's a powerful way of saying it. Can you accept me the way I am? Yeah. And you have to be able to communicate properly and you have to be able to have the trust to know that it's not a manipulation. It's not a tool. It's a being. It's like someone who's got super fair skin and will get sunburned right outside. It's just, this is going to be a weapon if you're not careful with it. And you need to, unfortunately, you have to choose carefully your partner. You have to have somebody who can, even if they can't live it, they can respect it and they can love you for it. It's kind of a, kind of a big deal. Yeah. I'm going to say most people, I don't feel like, and I'm speaking of empaths, Nobody is using that emotion and their feelings to manipulate others. I mean, that's just something that's coming from within. It's not a manipulation. It's not a tactic to win an argument or whatever. It's just how they're wired. And I've had to explain, I'm not a baby. I'm not, I don't have tremendously thin skin, but how you say things matters. And if you want me to change or you want to help me work with what you're feeling better, you have to explain it to me in a way that doesn't feel like an attack because I'm going to feel it as an attack. And I also, in the way of protection, I have to do my own work and learn how to receive something in the proper way it's delivered. Rick is 99.99, never going to be the one who attacks. But every once in a while, I can feel something as an attack. And I need to understand. I need to look at it for a second and go, wait a minute, was that the spirit this was delivered to me? Probably not. I want to dig into that a little bit. You feel things sometimes as an attack. So uh, let's see, what's an example? Oh, the chicken thighs didn't taste the same as they did last time. That's the way he is noticing it. And that's all. And I'm like, what? What did I do wrong? Because I want to be the best cook. I can be the best. I am. I am a built 50s housewife. I do like being a wife and I do like doing a good job. I do. I'm sorry. Anti-feminist that probably sounds like, but it's not. If he says something like that, I have to look at it and say, that is just his statement. That's just his commentary. It's not, why did you do such a terrible job with this chicken? That's the worst chicken I've ever eaten in my life. That's what I hear sometimes. It's an observation, not an insult. That's what I mean about finding my own way of understanding how I'm working and how to accept what I hear, pause for a second, and then then handle it, you know, not just react. You said a very important word, pause. I was going to ask you, how important is the pause? Very, very big lesson in my life. Pause is hard for me, so hard. Yeah, that word has been circulating my brain while we've been talking is like that pause, I feel like is really important because when you're supercharged with emotion, your tendency is to let all that emotion spill out. And where is it going to spill out of? Your face, your expression, your mouth, right? So I can imagine how many times, you know, it's important to really pause and really process what you're feeling. Like, is this happening to the degree that I'm feeling this happen? Is this personal or does it just feel personal? And really take a minute to dissect I'm having a huge epiphany over here. Like, (laughs) let me tell you why. I think 
Chad might be an empath. <laughs> and I've never, okay, because like I always was thinking that it would be like someone who was correctly interpreting things. But when you said they feel things as an attack, and then I go back to what Sherry said in the introduction, how an empath unknowingly mimics another person. And Chad does that. We will be like, like, it's embarrassing to me. We'll be like, let's say, okay, we'll be at a restaurant and the person serving is, okay, let's imagine we're at a Mexican restaurant and the server, Hispanic, someone with an accent or any accent. We're at a German place. Someone's German, whatever it is. Chad will start mimicking and like, like we'll be talking to someone who's, who's older, for example, and he'll, his body will start to stand in a different way and his he slows himself down. But Chad also feels things as an attack, which is why I was like, wait, you said what? Because I'll be like, you know me, I'm very emphatic. You see me right here, right? I'm moving my arms around. Well, I'll be doing something like that. And Chad thinks I'm attacking. I'm like, what? That's not how I'm feeling at all. But he interprets it as, am I married to an empath and I didn't know it? You totally could be. The cool thing is that now, if you see different things like that, now you have the power. You have the decision to make now. How can I act differently and see what else I can, you know, make an experiment of it? How can I deliver my words and see if they're received better by him? And that would be an interesting so thing to he discover. He like can tell I'm super irritated even though I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> well, see, now that's the thing. My face is very expressive. I am extremely passionate. I hate to fight. But I am very boisterous. I'm like, yeah, I want to get my point across. Somebody who sits there and goes like this and blah, blah, blah makes me crazy because I want to see what you're feeling. But I am totally that girl. When we first came here to Texas, I was twanging and I'm like, oh, no, I'm just copying the bagging lady. I'm, I'm like, I can't talk like that. That's mean. I, have to, I really had to be careful not to do it. So I do the same. So that's where you can change it. You can use it as a tool. Like, now I look at my people when they come into the office and they're a little bit stumped and they're a little bit hunched over and they're a little sad. My body starts to curl up in protective mode and copying them. And then we gradually get tall and broad and wide together. Change the whole dynamic. Well, I'm going to go experiment when I get back home after recording. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to experiment with different. That's going to be hard. I'm going to have to think about it. I know. See, now that's the thing. <laughs> if you know what you're made of, you have to do the work. You have to decide how you're going to act and react and interact. It's, I tell people all the time, being this mindful is exhausting. You can't just be yourself. How helpful is it for you if you are in all the fields for somebody to ask you how you're feeling or what you're feeling to maybe to gauge where you're at that day on a scale of one to 10? Like, you know what I'm saying? So if you're feeling a bunch of ways, if someone comes in and says, how are you feeling? Is that what you mean? Well, no, like you say, like you come home from work and you have had sort of an emotionally exhausting day and you are heavy in the feels and you're depleted. And I imagine, I know for me, after a long weekend at work of dealing with, you know, sick, injured patients, by Monday, I'm pretty depleted. I don't want to talk on the phone. I don't want to answer the phone. I really don't want to talk to my husband. I want to sit in silence. My husband kind of has this way of coming at me, like, what's the matter? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you talking to me? I haven't seen you all weekend, and now you're not talking to me. Blah, blah, blah. And it's, like, not about him at all. I'm, like, simply trying to recharge. And I just feel like, for me, if he would ask me, like, how was your weekend? How are you feeling today? What do you need today? And if I say, I need peace and quiet, I would love him to say, Okay, I'll back off you a little bit today. So to me, that's something that you can handle at a separate time. So it's midweek, you've been together for three or four days, you're out having dinner, and you can say, hey, can we try something new? When I come home, I know I'm going to be spent and exhausted. I know you're going to be excited to see me. I know you've missed me all this time. I'm sure you have things to tell me, but I need a couple of hours to just decompress and then blah. So you're not coming home at seven o'clock. You might walk in the door at seven o'clock, but at about 1030, you're ready to be the wife or whatever. But it also helps to look and see that he's been by himself or without you or whatever his feelings are. And you have to figure out how you can manage that. If you're not capable, then you need to set that boundary that 
this is my time to get my act together. If the ride home is not enough, then you need to tell them I need a little buffer. I just had a huge aha moment while you were talking. Oh, see, I'm good at that. <laughs> I So on the Life Lessons video chat Friday night, we were talking and I was asking them if anybody else compartmentalizes their life like I do. Well, maybe it's not compartmentalizing. It might be me clearing my energy. I have like an hour and 25 minute drive to work. When I leave my house, I go into work mode. So I am no longer wife, mom, dog mom. I am now Sherry healthcare worker. And I have to really like clear all of my energy. I, I have to get rid of like home stress, worry, what I didn't get accomplished, you know, what my husband's going to eat or not eat this weekend. Like I have to like really purge that. Right. And that is what I work on on the whole way to work. And I was telling them, my husband will call me like five minutes before I get to work and be like, where's this and that? And I can't find the new trash bags. And I'm like, dude, I was almost to work. Like I was in work zone. What are you doing? And he doesn't understand this at all. But I kind of, as you were talking, I was like, I think that's what I'm doing. It's not from work to home. I mean, I do that as well, but it's from home to work. That's like my transition time. And I've never even realized that's what I'm doing. He may not need that kind of transition time in his life. He may not ever understand that that's something that you need to do. We understand it in this household because we both do massage and we'll say to each other, are you ready to be massage girl? Are you ready to be massage boy? Because you, when you go, you're on your way you get in the right space. You have to be in the right space to touch somebody and to welcome them into your space and to help them with their healing. So you have to make that change, but he may not understand how that goes. So that's another example of communications and boundaries. And that's one of the things along with self-awareness. The other thing is it's creating a boundary. You have to be protective of the space that belongs to you so that you can keep your homeostasis. You can keep your evenness. And if your partner or, or coworker or whatever doesn't understand that, you have to figure out then how to go exist with that. I have a question. If someone is an empath, you know, I always, like I said, thought of it as that it was they had the ability to, to just feel other people's feelings and take them on. But do they, someone who's an empath also exude their feelings more strongly? Because that's that's why I'm like thinking about about Chad again and like having all these aha moments because his energy. Yeah, I mean, like I don't feel everyone's energy all the time, but I feel his. His energy overfloweth. <laughs> right. Sherry's been around <laughs> yeah. it. Right. Yeah. His yeah. energy. He's got big energy. He's got huge, big energy. So does it work that way as well for someone? It can. It can. I mean, one thing that we learn about in massage is meeting somebody where they are. So, you know, I'm in a great mood and I've got one of my favorite clients of all time coming in and they walk in and I'm like, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you since two months ago. How you doing? How are you feeling? Oh, my dog got run over in the street. So you have to figure out how to get down to be with them and not get too far down and help them get up to where you are. And there's different ways of making that happen, but you have to find that moderation. So what that means, for better or for worse, is that you have to figure out how to get some bigger energy like Chad's, and he has to maybe be able to get to where your energy is. You have to find that way to moderate it. Because you're people who have lived together and have children together, your bubbles often intersect. But there are different things that make you go and bop off of each other. And that's where the communication and the space and the trust is huge. You have to know what you can manage and you have to have a partner who can say, wow, she's, she's at her limit. And Rick will be the same as far as talking about that. I'll come home absolutely fried from a very emotional day with some people. And Rick hasn't seen me all day. He's happy to see me. He wants to know what we're doing for dinner. He wants to visit with me. And I love that but I'm not always quite ready. Same thing with him. So yeah, it can, it can be that way. Do you ever feel like you have to put some of your feelings in a box and take them out later? Yeah, I do. Do you know what I'm asking? Like when you brought up the client who said their dog died, I feel like that's something at that moment that I'd be like, okay, 
that's really sad, but I can't feel like I can't feel that right now because right now I need to give my energy to this person. So I need to put that in a box and I need to take that out and feel that later. Yes. But the other thing to do there, you don't have to actually box it away. As you understand more about empathy, you can use that semi-permeable membrane. Like you talked about, you know, going to a funeral of somebody, a friend of mine, her little boy died. And it was absolutely devastating, devastating. I don't have a child who has died. I can't put myself in those shoes. I couldn't even half imagine what that feels like. But it was a gut punch. And I knew it was coming. And I was fully immersed in it. And I I let myself feel it the whole way. That's nothing I could have done eight or 10 years ago. I would have been just like, nope, this is a funeral. This is a sad thing. Here's my sympathy card. I can't. And I would cry for two weeks at home. But now I can say, I need to be able to feel this. I need to be here with her or her mother or her family or somebody in the party, whatever. I have to be able to do that exchange. And now because I've worked on it a while, a long time, I can let some of that stuff in. So yes, it's it's putting stuff aside in a way, but you kind of just have to figure out how much you can let in right there in order to see how that particular moment's going to be. Yeah, so much to think about there. And you brought up some really great points. And it's quite possible my husband is also an empath. And I, I have to like sit here and think of conversations. A lot of times when I'll make an observation, he will take it very personally and say, why do you want to start an argument? See, now I will do the same. I'm like, wait a minute. and But that's where I'm saying the pause has helped me. Because it's almost never that Rick wants to fight with me. He never wants to do that because I'm going to damn win. And that's bad. Once I get to the point where I'm, I don't like confrontation, but if someone pushes me to the point where I'm going to fight, it is. It's going down. <laughs> people will poke me and I will say, you are not going to make me fight with you. But when it gets to that stage, I try to never let it get there. So yeah, I don't ever see him picking a fight anymore. And so I look at it and I go, wait a minute, that's a lot me. And then I can say, can you maybe just be a little more gentle on how you say that? And then we have established enough understanding of each other's empath level that you can say without feelings hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. That's sensitive for you. Let's you know, start over or I'll do it differently next time. There's a lot of communication, a lot of communication, which I am infinitely, infinitely grateful for because being in a sensitive space and having so many sensitive feelings can be crushing. It really can. But if you have somebody in an, and some work that you can do, then it's, it's a tool. It's a, it's a valuable tool. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been a fabulous discussion and really, I think, leaves people with a lot to think about and maybe even just to evaluate kind of the people in their life and maybe look at them a little bit differently. Yeah. Like, honestly, I'm having all these these moments of clarity and thinking, huh. <laughs> There's a lot of information to Google about empaths and you can find a list and it has key points that you might be an empath. And I've actually if. added some great links to the show notes. Good. Perfect. And I'm thinking, now what am I going to do with all this new information? (laughs) (laughs) It's a fabulous thing. And if you use it as a tool, a valuable interactive tool, it can be a superpower. It doesn't have to be a curse like it used to be. Learning how to deal with it is, is a good thing. Well, I have just really enjoyed getting to know you better, even though I feel like I know you very, very well. It's not never it's never the same until you can really just talk though, right? No, right. exactly. I'm glad to have talked with you. It's nice to be invited. Thank you. Well, thank you. Bye, Pam. Bye. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with us in a private online community, but you can connect with other listeners and community members. Sherry hosts monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk, and I go to them whenever they're not really late. (laughs) And you know what was really late last week? 8 p.m. on a Friday. I'm having a hard time with the time change. Let me just tell you, like right now it's 513 and it's dark. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the time change. Yeah. Like like literally it's dark. You can't see outside my window, but here we are in the dark. Anyhow, so I'll be there if it's light outside. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we'll see you in April. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you can join us in our VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. You can choose a contribution of $4.99 or $9.99 a month. You don't get anything extra for the $9.99. It's just for people who want to support a little bit more if you get a lot of value from the podcast. And you don't ever have to go to a Zoom hangout with us. You don't even have to go to the community. If you want to support our podcast, you can just join at lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP and just know that it really helps us bring you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. And today's listener-led lesson is a life lesson from Danielle Conlon. And she said, this life lesson is from my friend Allison, a very important person in my life who has taught me many things. I'm not sure where she got it, but it's the best. Be where your feet are. She said, I don't want to go into a long explanation because part of the magic of this advice is the simplicity. Stop living in the future. Stop worrying about the future. Stop worrying about what comes next. Be where your feet are, wherever that might be. If you don't, you will never really experience any moment. It calms your body, mind, and soul. Be where your feet are. See, I love that. And and Danielle talked about not being in the future, but I'm married to someone who lives in the past. That's exactly what was going through my mind. So many people with anxiety live in the past. Yeah, or depression over the past or anxiety about the future, but you should be where your feet are, which is not the past or the future. Yeah, I said that backwards. It's depression. You think about yeah, the past. Depression is the past. But you know, it's funny. I was actually quoting it's something my grandfather always used to say, and I don't know where he got it. My granddaddy trained him. He always used to say, wherever you go, there you are. Have you heard that before? I think I have heard that before. Yes. You know, wherever you go, there you are. You know, there, there's, it's not like there's a million better places. You're always going to be there wherever you are. <laughs> so live in that moment. Well, and the way I see it, too, is you're always you better be happy with yourself because you can't get away from yourself, right? It's true. And wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> so make friends <laughs> yeah. with yourself. Yes. Chad and I were having a conversation. I don't think you appreciated me saying that to <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably well, not. Maybe not. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Rose in California. The quote is, perfection is the enemy of done. I don't know who said this first, but I keep it posted over both my work desk and my sewing desk. It's so easy for me to get hung up on less important details and lose sight of the pleasure to be found in finishing something. The harder I try for perfection, the less likely I am to accomplish anything at all. And that is so true. That really is true. And a group that I'm a member of has a saying, you know, take imperfect action. Just do something, right? And you know, perfection is the enemy of done, as Rose said, but you, you just take imperfect action to get something done because if you wait for it to be perfect, it's never going to happen. You'll never do it. Yep, never going to happen. I love that. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. And your support really does ensure that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We would also love for you to leave a review. That helps us reach others, especially a five-star review. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.